This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Time can feel like it's in short supply. Between work, family, and friends, there's very little time left just for you. What would you do with an extra hour in your day? What's important to you? Therapy can help you find what matters to you so that you can do more of it. It's a great way to increase self-awareness, build a greater sense of purpose, deal with overthinking, and more. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online and designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash be here now today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash be here now. In my practices, I'm not trying to make up anything. I'm not trying to, I'm trying to feel what I feel as my heart unwinds and loosens up and opens and my mind quiets down. That's what I'm concerned with. Welcome to the Krishna Das Pilgrim Heart Hour. In this podcast, Krishna Das shares his warm-hearted and down-to-earth path to the divine. If you are interested in supporting Krishna Das's podcast, please go to beherenownetwork.com/kd. Yeah. Hey. 
Question for KD. I would appreciate KD's thoughts. My family is Buddhist, and we do our best to be peaceful and not to create harm. Recently, my son, who plays basketball, has been asked to be more aggressive. Is it possible for my son to continue being Buddhist, but to also be aggressive in basketball? Would appreciate my insight. If I had any, I would give it to you. Well, all I can tell you, you know, I played basketball in college uh, until I was too stoned to even figure out what a basketball was. But I had a nickname as a basketball player. And I think it's right in keeping with this question about peaceful, non-harm. My nickname as a basketball player was Animal. <laughs> animal that's me when i got on a basketball court some switch got turned on and i became an animal i used to have to guard guys who were six i guarded this one guy marv lewis who was six eight 250 pounds i was six foot 180 pounds he used to go boom like this and i would go flying across the court but they called me Anna. Um, absolutely, of course. Every situation has its own parameters. And if you're going to play basketball, which is a sport, which is played to win, it's not played to harm, but it's played to win. And so you have to do what's necessary to win without the motivation to harm. So I don't see any problem uh, in that at all. And I, in fact, I think 
you know, uh, Zangsa Kensha Rinpoche talks a lot about people who think Buddhism just means like peace and quiet and silence and all that. That is not the case. Uh, what's important is one's motivation in one's actions. So it doesn't necessarily mean that it has to look like peace or look like silence or look like anything particular in the outside world as long as the motivation is clear. So why your son can definitely be more aggressive. He can box out. He can throw elbows. He can do whatever he has to do to win. But he doesn't need to do that with anger. And he doesn't need to do that trying to harm anybody. He's simply playing the game according to the rules of that game. And not to do that is wrong. To play half-assed and not play to win is not is not is not the way it should be done. That's at least my feeling about it. Now, there's, you certainly don't want to see people get hurt. And that's not why you would, you would box out or play hard or do what you have to do. But um, the idea is to be able to give yourself 100% to what you're doing with the right motivation. That's... You asked for my thoughts, and unfortunately, that's my thoughts. And uh, my godson, Kieran, is a basketball player in college down in L.A. He's a monster, and that's great. But he's not out to hurt anybody. He's out to win, according to the rules of the game. So if you participate in that world, you follow the rules, and you do your best to win. Uh, and play well, whatever that means for your role. So that's that's right. I love basketball. We put a, even these days, you put a basketball in my hand. I'm going to hurt myself because I'm too crazy on the court. My question is about the mythopoeic origin or actual gross reality of Ram, Ram, Shiva, Durga. Do they ever, uh, where is that? I just got a, a text. Okay. Do they, did, they, did they ever have a gross form or have they always been of the subtle or mental realms? How do we know they actually exist outside the heady devotion of kirtan? The question perhaps is unanswerable, but better put, how do you conceptualize, spiritualize your approach to these perhaps only mythopoetic entities? They're not mythopoetic to me. I feel them here in this body, in this body-mind complex I feel them. I feel those presence, the presence of those beings, which also the presence of my guru. So my guru is no longer in the physical body, but I still feel his presence. How do you explain that? Besides that I might be crazy, which is, of course, always a good possibility. Or it might be all things, both might be, both might be true. Anyway, you know, Think about it like this, maybe. So, in the great expanse of time, there, what you call gross reality maybe wasn't so gross. And beings, hum, human beings, and beings had bodies that were more open vibrationally. And they were able to see different realms and they were real. The real. Those realms were real. As time passed, as the yugas, you know, went from the Satyuga to the Treta Yuga to the Dwapara Yuga and now the Kali Yuga, 
which is the time that the light is buried very deeply within us, and it's very hard to find that light. But in the different higher, in the less dense yugas, beings existed. Uh, maybe they didn't. Maybe this whole vibration wasn't even present at that time. Maybe the density of this time wasn't there. And so they didn't need to have dense bodies that would show up necessarily at this in this time. In this this uh, this type of this quality of re- of what we call reality. I don't know. That's just an idea. But I'm not trying, I'm not in my practices, I'm not trying to make up anything. I'm not trying to, I'm trying to feel what I feel as my heart unwinds and loosens up and opens and my mind quiets down. That's what I'm concerned with. I don't even care if Ram had a body like mine or not. Maybe in those days, there weren't bodies like this. Maybe physical bodies weren't like this. Maybe they were different. You're just assuming that a body in the Satyuga is the same in the body in the Kali Yuga, but it might not be so. Or it might be similar, but not with the same darkness and density that our bodies have. I don't know. Um, But your question is a little something. How do you conceptualize your approach to these perhaps only mythopoetic entities? So I don't see them that way, so that's not what I relate to. People have had the darshan of Hanuman have had the experience of Ram, have had darshan, seen those beings now in these bodies. People who are in bodies like this, like ours, have had those experiences. I haven't, but people have. And they've been written about and talked about, and people I met in India have had those experiences um, of actually meeting a being who had a body, but wasn't a physical body like this. That that doesn't mean it's any less real. It just means it's not so dense and not of such a low, heavy vibration uh, and physicality that we have. So I don't know. Uh, I just sing and I'm concerned with what I feel when I'm chanting. Actually, I just chant. I'm not so concerned with what I feel. I just keep chanting and feelings come and feelings go. I don't, I don't even think about whether Ram might have been in a physical body 10,000, 20,000 years ago. It doesn't, none of that makes, it, all of that's above my pay grade. And I don't care. I want love. I want to be in that presence of love and kindness and compassion and caring right now. And whatever I can do to bring that into my life and bring me into that, that's what I'm doing. So, good luck. Some of these questions are very personal for the people who are asking, and I don't really think they're, this is the time to deal with those questions so much. Uh, if I don't answer your question now, uh, please try to come to the Chai and Chats, which is a little bit more intimate, and we can talk one-on-one uh, at that time. Uh, Somebody said, I had this dream that Maharaji told me that we will resolve our karmas much quicker if we follow the advice of our gurus. Why is it so hard to listen and follow their advice? Why? Because we don't want (laughs) to. It's very simple. We don't want to. We want to do what we want to do. 
they give us good advice, but we, you know, okay, thanks. Maybe later when I'm older or tomorrow I'll start. We don't want to. It's really simple. We just don't understand. So we do what we want to do, pretty much. So you don't follow the advice of your guru because you don't want to. There's no other reason. It's not complex. It's not subtle. You just don't want to. You'd rather do something else. And not that that's a bad thing. I was just talking to a friend of mine the other day, and he said he's also an advanced practitioner, and he actually works with a therapist also. And the therapist he's been working with for a long time, uh, he said to his therapist, he said, you know, when I meditate, it's extraordinary. I mean, blah, 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 you know. And he says to the therapist, why don't I meditate all the time? And the therapist said, because you don't want to. It's just that simple. Why don't we want to? Well, that's a whole other ballgame. That's for you to find out. I've noticed that the better my life gets, the harder it is to stay grounded spiritually. Worldly pleasure brings something like joy, but not quite. It's an excited and giddy state. How do you suggest keeping focused on the spiritual world while the physical world is so alluring when things seem to be going so right? Well, what strikes me is this line, when things seem to be going so right. Because you're getting what you want. So you think, so going, you think things are going so right. The fact that it might be leading you into the shithole doesn't occur to you. You know, this beautiful physical reality, which is these physical bodies, which are just bags of pus and shit and blood, which we lust after and we think we'll get something from that. You know, one of the main practices in certain traditions is contemplation of the body. What is the body? This beautiful body that we lust after this one or that one or this one. What is it really? It's a bag of pus and shit and blood. That's it and nothing else. And there's no love in the body. The love is a feeling that exists in the soul, you could say, the non-physical reality within us, the awareness within us, the life force within us, which gives the body life. When that moves to another body or moves out of this body, this shithole is just nothing but a shithole. But we love it. We're so attracted to other people's bags of pus. We can't stop. And then we think our lives are going great because we're getting all these bags of pus to be interested in us. Interesting, huh? So you got to be who you got to be, though. You can't chop yourself off and make yourself into some shape that you think is spiritual. Go after the things you want, the things you think will bring you what you want, and see if they do. If they do, no problem. If they don't, then try something else. That's how we learn. That's how we learn. The name of the prayer I chant at the beginning of every Thursday and Monday and Tuesday, Wednesday and Friday and Saturday and Sunday is called the Hanumat Stavan, the Sri Hanumat Stavan, S-T-A-W-A-N. Nina's probably already typing it into the chat. The chat. Uh, I've recorded it on some of my CDs, so the lyrics to it are somewhere on my website. Uh, it is a prayer to Hanuman. It invokes the presence of Hanuman. And um, 
<clears throat> I don't know what the prayer book is from the ashram in Taos, but the prayer book from Kenchi, it's in that. I have one somewhere right here. No, that's not it. Um, but it is in the prayer book from Kenchi, and maybe that's what they sell at the ashram in Taos. I don't know. But but the but it's on my website somewhere. There's a, a under CDs lyrics, the prayers in there, with the translation. I think. Yes, they do sold. They, it is sold in Taos. Nina says. Nkbashram.org. That's the temple in Taos. That's the website. Nkbashram.org. So they sell it there. There's a whole bunch of prayers that they do. Those are the prayer book, the prayer book from Kenchi, which was originally put together by Mr. Tuari. Siddhima asked Mr. Tuari to uh, gather up the prayers and 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 select the prayers that should be done, and then it was expanded as time went on. How can we best treat close family members with love and compassion when they refuse to heal and relationships with them remain unhealthy? So what you're saying is, how can you love someone who isn't doing what you want them to do? Who isn't being the way you want them to be? You want them to heal the relationship. You want them to act like you want them to act. And if they don't, you can't love them? That's not love. So you don't have the right idea about love. When you love someone, you love them as they are. You don't love them on a condition that if they change, I'll love them. Or I'll love them more if they change and want to heal our relationship. That's not real love. That's, that's conditional. And that, that's never enough. So you do, when you find the love in you, when we stop judging ourselves, it's a lot easier to stop judging other people. And right now you're reacting to the fact that they refuse to heal. Even the way you say it is righteous. Maybe they can't. Maybe they just don't have it in them, the strength, the understanding to heal. Maybe they're too damaged to heal. Right now, you don't care about them. You only care about that they're not doing what you want them to do. I'm exaggerating, okay, to make a point. But that is the point. So you first heal your heart. You first find that place in you that is love. Find that and extend that to other people. And you see how hard it is to find it in you? How hard it is must be for them to find it in them and they don't know anything about dharma. That's when real love, real compassion arises, when you see the suffering of other people And then it really breaks your heart open. And you see how hard it is for you. How much more hard and difficult must it be for people who don't have an idea about this at all. So once you love them and allow them to be who they are, there will be a, they will feel that. They probably. And it's likely that they will gravitate towards that feeling of openness that's coming from you. Because right now, I'm sure they feel judged by you. So well, how can they approach somebody who's judging them so harshly? This is what we do. We think we're right about everything. <laughs> you know, and, and everybody's wrong. And unless they are who we want them to be, fuck them. That's not love. 
That's not compassion. That's not healthy for you, them, or anyone. How do you know your physical pleasure isn't serving your spiritual side? Which side is spiritual, the left or the right? I didn't say it wasn't serving. In fact, I think it is serving because one of the qualities of physical pleasure is that it ends. It, it's not forever. It changes. It morphs. Eventually. And when you experience that changing of pleasure into something else, that's when wisdom can arise. And so in that sense, cultivating pleasure can be a good teaching for you if you're looking for teaching. If you're looking for pleasure, then when that pleasure dies, you'll find another one, and then another one, and then another one. And there's no end to the lust for pleasure until you recognize what they call impermanence, the changing nature of everything. And when you do recognize that, pleasure actually can be more intense because you're not expecting it to last forever. So you're not approaching it with grasping and clinging and neediness. You're, you approach it with joy. Ah, and this is what it is, and then it's something else. And it's not a blow to you. It's not a heartbreak that the pleasure doesn't last because you didn't expect it to last. When you don't expect water to come from squeezing a stone with your hand, you're not going to get bruised. But if you expect water to come by squeezing a stone, you're going to break your hand. If you don't expect pleasure to last forever, you can actually enjoy it while it's here. When you have a meal, you don't expect that you'll never eat again. But when we have certain types of physical pleasure, we get into this state that, oh, it'll always be like this. Even if it's not formed so clearly in our minds, it's like an eternal feeling. And we're always so crushed when it doesn't last. And at least we're disappointed. And at least we have to wait a little while till we get it back up and can do it again. So the whole drama is, is, can be a teaching exercise if we pay attention. So I didn't say it wasn't uh, whatever the question was. Hold on. Where was that? Oh, I didn't say it wasn't serving the spiritual side. Everything in your life can serve your spiritual side if you are ripe enough to pay attention. But most of us, including myself, we just want what we want when we want it. And if we don't get it, we don't like it. So we're not going to learn a lot in that state of mind. Okay. How to give up anger towards a dharmic or evil people? Sorry, I don't understand this. Well, it never occurs to us that when we get angry at people we think are bad, it never occurs to us that we are also at that moment possessed by the demon of anger. We think we're perfectly, that it's perfectly fine for us to be angry at an a evil person. And we don't recognize that that anger that we're feeling is killing us. That's a whole other ballgame, okay? Just keep that in mind. 
But however, you know, Ramdas used to keep a picture of uh, George Bush, George W. on his on his puja, and he used to say, "Good morning, Maharaji. Good morning, Siddhima. Good morning, Shiva. Good morning, George." <laughs> And when he would say, good morning, George, it was never quite the same as good morning, Maharaji. And he did that to keep, to make him aware, make himself aware that his love was conditional. That he didn't, he wasn't free of judgment. So one time I was watching television, which I've been known to do once in a while. And it was very late at night, and I was flipping through the channels. <clears throat> and I stopped at CNN. And they were showing video of something that happened earlier in the day. George W. Bush was president at the time, and he went to Florida. And he was going to meet the widows, the first group of widows from the Iraq War. And he was going to meet them in a, in a schoolroom, in a, in a school in some town in Florida. And they showed video of him walking down the, down the hallway on the way to this thing. And he's, he's waving to the camera people, the people on the side. Hey, Joe. Hi, Bill. Yep, I'm the president. I'm walking down the hall. Going to meet these ladies. Yep, here we go. Up, up. And the cameras followed him as he and he walked into the room where these women were sitting waiting for him and he took one look at them and he burst out crying like a baby true is it true this happened he he stood in front of them weeping like a baby I couldn't hate him after that. I couldn't. Even if I wanted to, I couldn't because I saw a lot in that moment. Number one, he's a human being just like us, just like everybody else. And then I also saw he's, because of his position as president and all the deals that he had to make with people and helping his father with the, you know, George Bush and the war. And he's got us into this war. And it was the cause of all this death, all these souls, all these bodies being slaughtered. He was going to suffer for that. He was going to have to pay that karmic debt. And there was no escape from that for him. And that did not make me happy. Not after I saw him break down and cry like a baby. But I also saw there was no escaping his karma. And that, uh, I couldn't help it, but compassion rose in my heart. Uh, I didn't want to see him suffer, and yet there was no way he was not going to suffer terribly for his actions. So that's just a little story about what can happen, how you can somehow get over that kind of torture. So, but the point is that even the people that we think are doing terrible, terrible things in the world, and it may be true, do they have a choice? Really? Not not on this this superficial level well yeah i'm gonna do that or are they driven by deep needs and and deep uh desires that they cannot work with that are just overpowering them and forcing them to create terrible suffering for them for other people it's really an interesting thing i mean where do you stand to judge you know what did the man say? Uh, people in glass houses should not throw stones. And who's going to cast the first stone? We've all done things that have been horrific in our lives. 
So anyway, it's not something that you can just change the switch on. It comes with the kind of ripening process that you react less strongly to certain things. You, you, you're not immediately grabbed by the anger and the violence in our own hearts. Yeah, and like here's somebody who says, coming back on a plane from India, I met a group of Tibetan refugees that George W. Bush had saved and made them U.S. citizens. So, you know, the other thing about George W., you know who one of his best, one of his best friends is, was? The Dalai Lama. His holiness, the Dalai Lama, loved George Bush. And George Bush painted this portrait of his holiness and gave it to his holiness and his holiness loved george w now i can't say why his holiness lord it's maybe he was a monk who wanted to be president in his last birth and in his holiness's uh, monastery and now they're meeting again under these terms we don't know we just do not know what's going on Why does KD have no chant for Ganapati, for Ganesh yet? I don't know. Up in the north, mostly they sing the Hanuman. In the south, Ganesh is much bigger, much more popular. In the north, there's all these Hanuman temples, and my lineage is Hanuman. I just, I don't really know any bhajans for Ganesh, and I sing whatever comes through. I'm sorry. Oh, is that on the chat or is somebody just send that to me? I have to hold it up. Okay, so somebody, uh, Nina, somebody sent me. This is the the picture that George W. sent, a portrait that he painted of His Holiness the Dalai Lama. And over here for Instagram people, can you see? I don't know if you can or not. His Holiness loves loves George Bush. So there it is. Okay, that's it for today. These times are really difficult. There's tremendous pressure on us all. There's so much fear in the atmosphere. Every newspaper, every news show, every conversation, people in the street, there's a lot of fear and anxiety. And it makes everything, creates tremendous pressure inside of all of us. It's a really difficult time, not knowing what's going to happen, not knowing if we're going to have jobs, if we're going to have places to go, not knowing what's going to happen with this and that. and It's a really difficult time. And, and on one hand, the intensity of all the emotion shows us a lot about ourselves, sometimes not very pretty, sometimes very difficult to see all this stuff, this vulnerability, this fear, this anxiety that we carry around with us, that we usually cover up. It's all covered by many layers of stuff. But this pandemic has brought up a lot of that. And that's why we, do, we have these practices. That's what these practices are for. They're to, not to push away the suffering, but to open us to, to it. And that we're not destroyed by it, that we're not crushed by it. So do some practice, 
Don't try too hard, but do something every day. Just start cultivating the ability to let go of whatever is eating your head up. Just for a few minutes, just give yourself a break. Okay? Do your best to do that. Sarana Sarodaraja 
सब पाराम तपस बेराज तीन के काज सकल तुम साज ओण मनोरत जो कोयलावे सोवे अमित जीवन पल पावे चारुंग तुम्हार है पड़सुद जगत जियार साधु संत के मरकवार असुरन कंदन मामदुलार अष्ट सिद्धि नोनि दिखे दात असवर दीन चान की मार राम रसायन तुम्हारे पास सदारो हो रघुपति के दास तुम्हारे भजन राम को पावे जन्म जन्म के दुख बिसरावे अंत काल रघुबर पुर जाय जहन जन्म हर भक्त कहाय और देवता चित्त न दरय मत से सुख करे संकट कटे मिते सब पीर जो सुमेरे मत मल जे जे हनुमान गोसाई कृपा करो गुरुदेव की नाय जो सत बार पाठ कर को तही बंदी महासुख होए जोया पर हनुमान चलीस होया सिद्धि साके गौरीस तुलसीदास सदा हरि चेर की जे नाथ हृदय मंदिर पवन तन्नाय संकटरन सहित हृदय बसुरूप सावर राम चंद्र पद जय शरण मंगल मूर्ति मारुत नंदन सकल अमंगल मूल निकंद मंगल मूर्ति मारुत नंदन सकल सीताराम सीताराम जय सीताराम 
for coming tonight and chanting. Please try to do a little practice every day. Just give yourself a little bit of a break every day for a few minutes. Those minutes are seeds that get planted and they lead to more minutes and finally to real peace peace that's deeper than anything that happens in the outside world and that allows us to really extend ourselves to all beings who suffer. Everything we do for our own hearts, we do for all hearts just works that way so if we know anything about a path at all it's only because of the great beings that have gone before us out of their love out of their kindness they left some footprints for us to follow so in the same way that they wish for us In the same way that they wish for us, we wish that all beings everywhere, all of us, be safe, be happy. That all of us, including ourselves, have good health and enough to eat. And may we all live in peace. And at ease of heart, at ease of heart with whatever comes to us in life.
Namaste. Take good care. Wishing you all, all the best. Ram Ram. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Time can feel like it's in short supply. Between work, family, and friends, there's very little time left just for you. What would you do with an extra hour in your day? What's important to you? Therapy can help you find what matters to you so that you can do more of it. It's a great way to increase self-awareness, build a greater sense of purpose, deal with overthinking, and more. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online and designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash BeHereNow today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash BeHereNow.